Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast with practical advice for mid-career professionals. I'm Kat. And I'm Liz. Hey, Liz. (laughs) Well, I'm excited, Kat, because today we're welcoming a personal friend of mine. So I'd like to introduce Robert Gilbert. And when I think of someone who is positive and energetic and bleeding edge and a true startup person, I think of Robert. So today we invited him on to learn from his interesting career and to get his perspective on staying positive when times are uncertain. Welcome, Robert. Please tell us how you got to where you are today. We've all seen the meme of an X and Y graph and what people think your career was, like you're a successful mid-level or senior level person. And and then someone junior to you thinks, oh, you you did this up and to the right type of trajectory. It's never that, right? It's nope. it's a spaghetti bowl. It's like um, you know, it's like the worst transition highway in Houston, Texas, if you will. People that embrace that that's the fact are the people that can be positive about it and can move forward, mm-hmm. right? And can and can grow from that. Like you got to do the loop de loo to get to where you're going. Yep. I blame some of my story on being a lazy college student. Solid. Late in my career in college, I got a part-time job with Ford Motor Company. Hey, guess what? You're about to graduate. We'll offer you a full-time job. And I said, wait, I don't have to interview. I don't have to deal with recruiters, bless you, but I don't have to do any of that. <laughs> I took a full-time gig with Ford and really like, I thought I was done. People were still joining a big blue trip ship company and staying there yeah, and building their career. So like I did that for Ford until all that stuff happened with the different auto manufacturers and Ford didn't take a bailout but they laid off thousands and thousands and thousands. I could keep going people. <laughs> I took basically, they did this version of layoff. And then I went to another big financial institution. I went to Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. It was a change though. I got to go into sales, which was cool. Okay. After Wells Fargo is when I had sort of my first fun employment period. Okay. While I was in college, um, and I, I thank my dad for this. He started selling stuff on eBay while I was still in college. Mm. That got me hooked onto e-commerce and like selling stuff online, doing business online. I learned how to do websites. I did websites for fraternities and sororities while I was in college. Even when I was at these financial institutions and doing stuff at Ford, I was still doing side stuff. The first of like four times that I was in between gigs, if you will, I bolstered my income by doing more website stuff and selling more stuff online. After Wells Fargo, I made a shift where I actually got a marketing job. I have a marketing undergrad. That job was with McCoy's Building Supply. I think there are maybe 85 to 100 stores right now. They're based Mm -hmm. in San Marcos. It's like fourth generation family ownership. They needed someone to not only um, run a private label credit card program, but they needed a webmaster. And you remember Mm -hmm. that that used to be something that companies would hire for. And my boss there... But she was smart enough to say, oh, I see you have this web development stuff on your resume. Mm -hmm. We're going to actually give you two jobs. Of course, one pay, but we're going to let you do the website. You're going to still do the credit card. And I got to really cut my teeth into e-commerce. And so that was a career pivot. Mm -hmm. Um, And it got me to a different spot. But wait, there's more. He's not still (laughs) McCoy's. No, I know. So yeah, so um, the McCoy's things was awesome. Like a family-owned company. They allowed me and some others to launch the first sort of e-commerce presence for McCoy's, which was great, right? You know, I was doing stuff on eBay with my dad and doing eBay on the side, but 
when you when you kind of do your professional start at these big massive corporate brands you kind of get diluted that like this other side stuff's not real but it was real mm-hmm. right and i was learning a ton mm-hmm. and then getting to do it at a at an actual retailer you know and seeing like you know my uh, hang tags in the store directing people to the website was super fulfilling and super awesome you know in the end that was not going to progress very much you guys can help me if i should change the wording of this but i i, I now believe that i'm a I'm a masochistic bucket list person. What does that mean? What what this means is like, I want to figure something out and I want to make something work. And I think at my maturity, I want to make it work in a way that's like actual corporate, yeah. not just like at home on the weekends. I make something work or I'm part of something that works. And then I'm kind of bored. I don't know if it's like mm. a, a, ADHD around challenges or something. Mm. So I start looking for, can I really get full force in e-commerce and online retail? <laughs> And I was driving a rent car between two border towns, between two McCoy stores, and my phone started ringing. I'm sure I had a very dorky uh, cell phone at the time. <laughs> and I vividly remember pulling off the highway and having a phone call with the person who ended up being my boss. And they were a legitimate online-only company, mm-hmm. you know, very bootstrapped here in Austin. But we were scrappy, and I got to then like fully legitimately do what I felt like I was trying to do for a long time. I'm doing um, online marketing, merchandising, there's a little bit of partnership development, but in a, a time where online's still fairly mm-hmm. new, there's not a lot of rules written, and I had to learn a lot um, and, and get and be, and be mm-hmm. open to learn from people that were already trying to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it had some really good mentors mm-hmm. and folks that were open. You know, we talk about career trajectory, like for me, it's sometimes mm-hmm. hard to judge through a recruiting process. If the people I'm going to work with, are they going to be dynamic enough? Are they going to be open to change? Because a lot of times you, these companies preach it, right? You see the job descriptions mm-hmm. to talk about, we need a change agent, we need this stuff, but do they really, right? And so like, I think I've been lucky and in, 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 I've been lucky in some of these moves to to be at places where they were actually looking for that, mm-hmm. right? And they were open to somebody who wasn't, yeah. wasn't an expert 100%, right? And mm-hmm. was willing to help somebody grow. That's made a huge difference for me. Mm-hmm. I guess I, the other thing I have to talk about is LinkedIn. It has become, for me through the years, it is part of mm-hmm. my career journey. The local recruiter who I still know, who I still thank once a year if possible, she reached out on LinkedIn and said, hey, would you like to hear about this job? It's with a local retailer. I can't tell you who it is with, yeah. but you know, do you want to have this phone call? So the recruiter tells me about this company and I was like, mm-hmm. that's bullshit. There's no way there's a company selling what these, what you're telling me they're selling. I'm not interested. It just didn't seem real. And I never heard of them, even though they were here local. And then she pinged me again. And then finally he pings me and says, um, the CEO mm-hmm. and the COO of this local company, they on their own keep going to LinkedIn to search for someone to fill this role. And no matter what they search for, your name keeps coming up. Yeah. And so, so long story short, mm-hmm. I ended up meeting them. It was very legitimate mm-hmm. and it was very pivotal in my career because of what they were going through and what opportunities it gave me. Yeah. But I do have to thank LinkedIn. Have you started your own company too? A few, a few times. Several. <laughs> Out of uh, building websites for like student organizations and small businesses in San Marcos down where my school was. I kept that sort of thing kind of running on the side. Okay. Because then I la- later after like, 
like my dad had taught me some stuff and I'd work with him. I launched my own eBay business, but again, mm-hmm. on the side, I think it part of that, like what we talked about earlier, it was a lot of like a legitimate career means you are a full-time employee at company X and that is what you do for a living. And you come home and you make mm-hmm. dinner and that's it. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm in that transitional generation or mm-hmm. yes, I worked at Ford and Wells Fargo, but I came home and I had eBay auctions going. Yeah, I was going to Goodwill all over Austin, grabbing stuff to sell. Mm-hmm. And like I had collections from a kid that I was selling. I think a lot of times I had those side things and like, you know, you're asked like uh, some of these side projects or side companies or side businesses was because I wasn't getting the energy from the other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I've also, I've always had some version of that going, but as I, as my career has you know, trajected up and there's more responsibility, then there's less energy because I'm getting energy after out of building a team, right. And mentoring right. my interns or building up. And so you end up, that stuff gets pushed aside a little bit. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, then you have kids and you have other pieces of life that happen. Yeah. And then for me, it ends up being in moments of time where I'm in between full-time gigs mm-hmm. that need to fill that energy up with something is, you know, when I, I spill back into, I'm doing more stuff online. I'm mm-hmm. helping people with websites. I'm turning it in into other kind of, you know, sort of more legitimate mm-hmm. activities. Yeah. So Robert, you've been a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, and you work for others. How do you decide when to do what? What guides you on making these moves? Oh, uh, you know what? I love that question because I'm I'm going to answer it probably in a hopefully in a way you didn't expect. I don't think about it that way. Even whether I'm working for someone else or myself, a big company, small company, and I do mean this. I pretend like whatever job I'm given, I own that. I own that company. I'm doing air quotes, sorry. And so for me, I think that served me really well. I probably have an ego problem. And I've been told that and I believe it a little bit. But I think it's also part of my part of my my superpower is that I have the ability to okay, now I'm the CMO of a company with a bunch of people. I do treat it like it's my company. I don't care about the title or the role. And so I think for me, I think that's, I think that's helped. That's helped me stay sane, frankly, in these transitions between things as well. Today, I'm not unemployed, right? I'm going through a transition and I'm taking two paths. I've been interviewing actively for C-level opportunities, and I'm actually working for companies in C-level fractional roles. Whether I chose to be in this position or not, I'm now choosing to look at it that way. And so you know, you could sit, we could sit back and say, oh, I wish I had my own business and I made all the big whatever. Well, or you can sit back and say, my role in my department, my team is my business, right? And I think that's how I've attacked it. Frankly, I was attacking it that way at Ford even because I got put in this floater manager thing back then. And is Ford my company? No. Did I own enough stock to have any power? No. That, I mean, I was one branch of like 300 branches at a time or something. But I wanted to make the role better, right? And I wanted to have fun. And so I think that's just, you, you've heard the thing like act as if, you know, or operate as if. I'd say for me in, in my life in startups, whether it was my own little side hustle startup or actually a little bit bigger startup or a startup where there was a, you know, husband, wife that owned it, my ability to pretend like it was my startup, right? Made all the difference. It makes all, it makes all the difference. And I, I, you know, now even you've got me reminiscing about this. I think it made a difference. My my time at Ford, my short time at Wells Fargo. The Wells Fargo thing was a weird experience. 
experiment, there were three employees and a boss in all of Central Texas. And part of the experience, I was the only one that didn't come from banking. Like, I guess I was at Ford Financial or whatever, but the other two were tellers and personal bankers from other banks that they stole into Wells Fargo. And our manager was an awesome lady that had like birthed up through Wells Fargo. So part of it was like, okay, there's no rules here. Let's let's try to make it better. It could be argued that ownership of one's role and the way that we approach work could be a pretty strong leadership tenant, right? Because I I I work with I work on retainer with a couple of clients that do quite a bit of first year hiring for they're they're both CPA firms, right? So they do first year accountants. And the difference between the ones that are successful and the ones that are not successful, well, one constitution, um, the ability to navigate the hours that are required during the busy seasons. And there's two of them, two main ones a year. But the ones that take ownership are the ones that see their, you know, any role that they have as an important and integral role to the company. And I think that people who do that are more successful. Yeah, no, 100%. There's some quote about like, no one's going to care about your career as much as you. To some degree, we're all cogs in the big thing that's happening, right? And so acting as if, you know, I think for me also from a leadership career perspective, um, this mostly has served me well, is, you know, being someone, you do have to at some points understand when to say no to assignments, to projects or whatever, but there's there's likely some pendulum that has to swing of early in a career, say yes more. And I'm not saying be a yes man or woman. I'm not saying kiss but by saying yes to things, but there's, and this happened at Ford, it happened at Wells Fargo, it happened at every company I've ever been at. There's some project or some idea that let's say it's got executive support, whether it's bunkus or not. And people don't want to be associated with it because they're scared it's going to fail. And I think I personally have been like, I'll try that. Especially early career. Try it. Why not? Yeah. Why not? So, you know, I, whether I was right or wrong, I think knock on wood, it served me well. I would say yes. And I happen to be around other entrepreneurs, owners, business people who respected that. And, you know, and maybe had a team of, you know, the other, the other 80% of the team didn't say yes, was scared, was playing it safe. And I would say this though also, sometimes me doing that has been why I'm in between gigs because I do stand up and say we should do this. Or, you know, I try to push, push, I, I will push too hard sometimes. And, you know, um, I don't feel bad for doing that. I don't think I'm worse today because of that. Has there been some rough patches, some stressful patches? Of course. And we all have those regardless. So, but I think you're doing something funny. You're toning down the, the side gig, fractional. It's a testimonial to you as a networker. And you are an extremely excellent networker. And I want to like dig into that a little bit because these side hustles and stuff, they don't come to the person who only sits in their little corner. They come to people who have who put themselves out there. So talk a little bit about how you evaluate side gigs, because you did just say it's important to say no, and you can't have 27 side gigs and a main gig and a sleep pattern and everything else. So talk a little bit about your approach to networking in vis-a-vis side gigs and kind of making sure that you've always got something going on? Yeah, I think for me, my level of need or want for the side gig, I'll hyperbole for a second. If I'm desperate for a side gig, I'm, I'll be more open. If I'm not, but I would say from a like LinkedIn networking perspective, I tend to just assume that me being positive and out there 
whether I need a side gig or not, to me, that's the right way to be. And so they used to see on LinkedIn, people would have like, you know, Liz Bronson, Lion. It's oh, like God, LinkedIn remember that? Yes. Network. Yeah, right? <laughs> LinkedIn so like, open networker. And so I, I, I probably am that to some degree, but I always, I literally have never said accept or I've never said an invite to somebody where I do generally feel like in some point in time, we're going to be able to help each other out. And so, you know, I think whether that comes back to me or not, I don't really care. Like going back to like the fact that those, the two executives at that retailer kept seeing me on LinkedIn, I wasn't trying to get in front of them. I don't know if you, you know, there's a story of an early Bizarre Voice employee here in Austin. Bizarre Voice is a rating review platform for online retail. Earlier employee in the social media team there was trying to get their attention. So you used to be able to buy really targeted ads on LinkedIn. And he bought ads targeted at like the founders and the CMO or whatever. Well, like I'm, I think I'm a little OC or not OC, but I'm a little ADHD around my like interest. I tend to like, I want to know everybody in Austin that touches e-commerce. Right. And I think my weird mantra there is like, I want to own that network. And if anybody is doing that, I want them to be connected to me. Right. And like, you know, I would say for me personally, COVID kind of screwed up my trajectory there. And now I'm restarting it. Because I was doing like I've hosted multiple meetups, coffee meetups and e-commerce luncheons and all those things, because I really do want to make those human connections because you never know. Right. You never know what's going to what's going to happen in the future or who you can help or who can help you. Right. Yeah. I do believe like you can get in a down spot and you start. Well, maybe that's not the right way to be. I'm here to help. Like I have probably too many mantras, but one is that I'm here to help. (laughs) I like mantras, Robert. So. I'm here. Yeah, thank you. I'm here to help to some degree as we get older in our maturity and our careers. Like I have seen the patterns. I have been there. I've seen, for example, I've seen marketing teams structured in all different ways. I've seen partnership done in different ways. I've seen co-op marketing plans done in different ways. I'm here to help, right? And I do. I'm I'm very big. I don't know if it's Simon Sinek, the guy who did the start with, you know, start with why book. I think he's also done the zero sum thing where I don't believe that life and career is a zero-sum game. I mean, you, the three of us could be competing recruiters, and I guarantee you we could all have very fruitful careers and do fun stuff, even if we're all recruiting for the same type of thing. So why would you have to act any other way, right? And so I think for me on LinkedIn, it's funny because I get questioned every once in a while. Um, I'm actually one of my one of my fractional clients right now. The CEO is asking me, you know, are you really as nice as you appear to be on LinkedIn? <laughs> uh, yeah, because I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's who I am. Now, do I purposely post on certain topics? Of course. Why wouldn't I? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna just post. You know, to me, the other social social media platforms are for that kind of stuff. But on LinkedIn, like, I am a career person. I do these things, and I want to help people. Completely agree. Okay, so when you're looking at new opportunities, Liz and I talk about having a must-have list. A must-have list is, first, there's an ideal job list that has everything that you'd want, you know, on your dream job. But the the must-have list is the bare bones, the most important things, right? The things that you need to be successful in your role. Do you have a must-have list? And if so, would you share some of it with us? I do, but it's kind of all over the place. And I would even say today, today's been a fun day because I've been, what time is it now? I've been in I've been in meetings or luncheons with people or lunch with with folks either as possible um, fractional work or full time since about eight a.m. this morning. It's been oh, an amazing Long day. day. 
No, it's been great. No, I actually use the excuse of this podcast happening at night to have meetings all day. It's been great. <laughs> and, but it sort of ebbs and flows. I think for me, like, I, 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 it's funny. I think through the years, I've sort of bastardized different, like, theories of these things to make different ones. But one that I think feels fitting right now, it's about, like, the people that you're going to work with, the product, you know, the thing you're selling, right? And sort of, there's a P's around it, right? And so, you know, the gentleman I had lunch with today, very niche of a niche of something, but I, I really grokked what he's trying to accomplish. Um, and he's a startup, well-funded startup. It's a based here in Austin and is looking for new marketing leadership. And so it's like, would I have purposely gone and, and sought out, you know, maybe this, this thing or this niche? Maybe not. Because part of it's like, it's to me, it's less about like, is it, am, you know, I'm only good at selling cell phone cases. So I only can work for the cell phone case. It's not about that. Right. So it's like, for me, really, number one, I think in my, my career place, in my age, maturity, whatever word I can say there, it's about the people that you're going to work with. For me, when I say it's the product, it's like, do I have that same problem? Can I, can I, can I like, can I feel at home with the people I'm going to be selling to? And then I think and it's not a, it's not a P, but maybe it's purpose. And I don't, I don't know how to say this. It's almost like, is the, is the thing that I'm selling or giving to the people, is it something I can feel good about giving them? Is it aligned with your values? Yeah, it's a value thing, right? That's a great word. And so like today, and I, I was saying this before we started recording earlier, each time I've been in one of these sort of, you know, whether you want to be positive or negative in this valley or plateau in my career, I've, I've been able to be more picky with what I'm looking at. So I, if I go back, um, Liz, Margaret, my daughter, who's about to be 16 that we know together well with your daughter, um, she was maybe one year old and I was like on number two time that I was in between things. At that point in time, I've spent all morning, I would take her to daycare. At the time, my wife was still a full-time career person. I would take Margaret to daycare and I would go to a coffee shop downtown and I would cold call all kinds of different companies. I was doing web dev work and doing like online marketing. And I'd call a bike shop. I'd call, you name it. I'd call ad agencies offering to be their white label thing because I was, you know, desperate is a little bit of hyperbole, but I, I was just trying to find work. You know, each time this has happened now, like today, that's not what I'm doing, right? I've got this network built. I've got a, a sort of a history. You know, there's a pattern recognition. And even though like this gentleman I had lunch with, I haven't been in his industry ever, but I can get what he's trying to solve. And I've had the problem he's trying to solve. And so I'm able to say, like, you know, I think at this point, too, it's not just like I can come be your CMO. Like, I've seen enough other patterns, even build, just building businesses, right? And so I can be able to get, I think I'm asking your question, but like to get to a point where you start being more picky. Mm -hmm. Well, being really clear about what you need to be successful. Yeah, no, totally. It's not one-sided anymore either, which I think like early in someone's career, you almost don't deserve to be too picky or too choosy. I do believe that. Like, I know the generational change and there's a lot of like me, me, me stuff and expectations, but like, there's something to be said for like, you know, getting your scars, learning the patterns, putting in the time that then affords you later. And I don't mean afford like now I have money in the bank, but it's more like I have the experience. I am now worth more to the market. And so, you know, it changes. But you just said something interesting because you know your market. 
Like you're not trying to pivot into, you know, balloon sales or something. I don't know, like hot air balloon ride sales. I don't know. But like, you know that you've built this expertise in the world of e-commerce. And so you can go to e-commerce adjacent, but as a marketer, what's the job of a marketer to tell the story? And, And of course, there's a million different pieces of marketing and I'm not belittling, but like, I don't know what your story is all about. You're some kind of infrastructure plug-in API, like what? <laughs> but you now have this expertise and you know the personas all surrounding the world. So now you have to, you can then filter of like, is this product going to speak to this persona? And understand if you can, and if you can tell the story successfully. And that's part of you know, Thank you for saying it that way. Because part of it is like trying to learn from these companies what they think those are, what they think their voice is. And, I, you know, there's a double-edged sword there. If it seems like it's off, that's actually an opportunity for somebody like me, right? I can come in and I need to make a better word for this, but it's like come in and you can do a tune-up, right? And you can do an audit. You can, you know, get them to outline what they're up to and figure it. It's funny, like, you know, last decade I've been on on the staff side in software, either fintech or e-commerce, you know, it's, it's like online tools. Right, but there, but there's a quote. Um, I don't know the whole quote, but it's basically it's it's a poor musician who blames his music on his instrument. That's not a popular thing for me to say if I'm sitting somewhere selling a SaaS tool to people, right? Because oh, this tool is the only tool. But as a marketer, right? And I, and even though I have, I've got an undergrad marketing and I've got an MBA in e-commerce and I'm I'm fairly well educated. I've been around a while. There's a level of I think humility that marketers need to have to understand that it's an art, right? It's not. It's not the other, and and thank you for knowing that I have all these mantras or quotes or whatever. But you know, no one ever, no one ever walks into the accounting department and says, "Oh, y'all should do LIFO instead of FIFO," and you should do right. No one ever does that ever, right? But people of every department, everything, walk into marketing and say, "Oh, I got, I saw this TV ad or whatever." And while that offends some people, for me, I don't feel like I'm academic around that, and so it's like. No, I love marketing and I love this because it was, I know that I can go. And actually now it's funny that like the clients on my pipe in my pipeline, I'm purposely trying to go after non-e-commerce tech. And that part is where I'm getting my next like challenge. Can I apply, you know, the math around marketing and the, my personal like Venn diagram of marketing? Can I apply it to a law firm or to a, a new or retail or a different model? And I think it's where I'm getting. If we want to talk about leadership and styles of leadership and those things, that's where currently I'm getting my energy is the next challenge of like, how do I apply? And I did this. I applied models from early online marketing and retail across the aisle into SaaS software. I actually tried to apply some of those models across. And so I think I'm I'm in another one of those, you know, transitions. And I I I do like I do preach this to people. And I want to share this for you guys is like. The best marketers don't have to stay in the same industry. You know, there's a lot of layoffs going on, a lot of stuff. And even like just e-commerce, a lot of layoffs across e-commerce right now with like post-COVID. I want to encourage those kind of people. Like a marketer to me is, is like the best salespeople can sell anything. It's the same with marketing. Like there's like an academic thread of marketing that's the same no matter what. And then there's a creative thread right? Where it's the art and it's not a science or it's not a absolute like accounting. And like people need to feel empowered 
And I, I guess talking back to you two in particular, like recruiters should be open to talk to people from different industries to see if they land those people that are, you know, that the are interesting cooks, if you will. Right. The smart ones realize, well, this person doesn't exactly fit this perfect job description, but they have these skills and the smart recruiters will be able to sell that person to their hiring manager. For sure. And I'll, I'll clarify. I need to clarify. I feel like I need to clarify. <laughs> I do believe that a marketer needs to understand their audience. That doesn't mean they can't learn about their audience and they can't apply learnings from different, but if they're also doing a detriment effect, like, I know everything about that audience because every audience is constantly evolving, right? No, if they, if, they, if they claim they know their own audience of their current situation, they're probably failing. Right. I mean, it's, exactly. it's humans. It's human to human. So it's going to be, yeah, there's an organicness to that, that. And we're always evolving. Yeah, 100%. Well, Robert, I feel like we could talk to you forever. Um, this has been super <laughs> interesting. Tell our audience how they can reach you. The easiest way is um, on LinkedIn. If you just go to robertgilbreth.com. So my name spelled out, it actually forwards to my LinkedIn profile. I'm very open on LinkedIn. I am here to help. So if anybody wants to connect, I'm based in Austin, Texas. I love going out in public now, more probably more so than pre-COVID. So I have a New Year's resolution. I know we're later in the year, but I'm still sharing this. I don't do Zooms with local people. I know we're recording this over the interwebs, and that's great. I've been started at the beginning of the year. I've only had one person refuse to meet me in person. And I later found out it was only because while Austin's home base, He's traveling around the world. So I've agreed to do a Zoom with her. That could be a really interesting experiment for many of us. If you're local, let's meet in person. Yeah. And what I've done is like, I will drive across town. I will drive wherever, as long as it fits in the schedule. I'm not like saying, oh, I only meet and you have to meet me where I am. Um, And so far it's been, it's actually been pretty interesting. I'll tell one other quick story really quick. Through my, I'm kind of going on these two paths where I'm taking on fractional clients at the C-level and I'm interviewing. I had I was going down an interview track with a company that's basically trying to make their U.S. headquarters in Austin. And they've hired a few sort of like senior level in Austin. And I'm talking to the recruiter about it. And they've, they've hired a corporate recruiting firm to do the recruiting. And we we talked through and I've had a few conversations with him. And I'm, I'm grokking the idea. I'm, I'm on board, right? I'm basically going to, you know, it's going to be a C-level for their U.S. base business or the U.S. version of their business. And the recruiter kind of got all kind of somber and he's like oh i I gotta share with you they just started renting space at the we work up in north austin and he kept getting like more like sad and he goes they're requiring that people come in two days a week is that is that going to be a problem i i I think my my uh, my old smart ass ways got the best of me and i said hey tom yeah i have a problem with that and i paused and we're on a Zoom and he get he gets even worse. Like his face dropped. I said, I'm gonna be in that office five days a week. Are they okay with that? And then we both cracked up. No one's ever said that back to me. I used it when I met with one of the founders. They they came to town and it was the same thing. So it was just interesting, like the little nuances that happen in recruiting now that's you Tom's walking this fine line because he don't know he doesn't know if I'm a remote guy or staying office guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's kind of kind of funny. Well, thank you, Robert. We appreciate you coming in and telling your story and sharing with us today. Very nice to meet you. Appreciate you having me, guys, and uh, looking forward to the future. This is real job talk. 
the podcast with practical advice for mid-career professionals. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Facebook and Instagram at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kathleen Nelson Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat. And on LinkedIn, I'm Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm Liz B. Consult. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is produced by John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And thanks for joining us. Until next time.